Welcome back to the Niners Wire podcast. My name is Chris Biederman. This is our post-NFL draft edition. Um, we're going to be joined by the Sacramento Bees, Matt Barrows, in a little bit, 49ers beat writer. Um, but now I'm joined with our super producer, Rob Lauder, and our scouting expert, Jared Brown, uh, to talk all things 49ers drafts. And I think, guys, uh, the 49ers made a pretty big splash by being able to get Solomon Thomas moving back one spot in uh, in a trade with the Chicago Bears who wound up moving up one spot to take uh, Mitchell Trubisky, and we can talk about that too. Um, but I think the the big deal coming out of uh, the first night, and we, we touched on it since then, the 49ers obviously filled out their draft board. They have 10 new rookies. Um, they're going to add a bunch more undrafted guys, which are going to be announced formally later this week. Um, but for now, now that we know what a full draft class looks like under Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, what what uh, what do you guys takeaways? Rob, I'll start with you. Uh, pretty impressive, pretty impressive. And I know that's kind of a general, not necessarily a cop out, but nobody knew what to expect going into this when it was their first gen, uh, first draft as general manager, head coach tandem, and, and everything they'd said prior to the draft checked off all the boxes. They seemed like they had a really good vision for what they wanted. Uh, they definitely seem to be on the, the same page, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. So, you know, it was kind of like, you know, the rubber, it was time for the rubber to meet the road. And I think it was really, really impressive. And it's not very often that you see as far as, and we know how almost pointless draft grades are because you have to give the, the class a few years to pan out and see how the team uses Except them. for the Niners wire draft grades. The yes. Niners wire draft grades are perfect. As, lo- as long as you're you're kind of sticking to those and, you know, you can take other draft grades into account but just come back for the Niners wire draft grades kind of just to make sure to get that validation. But as far as you need a couple years to kind of see how everything goes and how the, the team utilizes them and rarely do you see almost unanimous praise from – everywhere across the league. And I say almost unanimous because there's onesies and twosies, but everybody for the most part seems pretty blown away with how they did. And and I would include myself in that. I think from top to bottom, when you look at the class, you can see what they wanted. You can see a vision in the players that they were trying to uh, select and kind of the team they're trying to build. It, it, it stands out being pretty obvious is just how cohesive their vision was and you know, everything they said at every press conference at every turn made sense. They were able to justify every pick pretty well. And they all, you know, outside of C.J. Beathard, who's kind of materialized as making a lot more sense, the uh, Iowa quarterback in the third round, everything, there weren't a whole lot of head scratchers, which isn't usually the case. And it hasn't been the case over the last five years or so with uh, Trent Baalke. So overall, impressed. You know, I, I think it's a great start, and this draft needed to be a foundation, and especially with Salman Thomas and Reuben Foster, uh, I think they did just that. Jared, what, what stood out to you? I think it also is a good indication of, at least in the short term, over the next year or two, how John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and even Prague Marate plan on building this team, which is much like what many of us expected in that they would – uh, bring in, uh, you know, bargain type free agents. In this case, they had to pay, overpay a little bit for some of these players because they had the money to spend. But they bring in, uh, you know, second tier players on offense, and that includes uh, in in the draft. You know, spending offensive picks later to bring in some quality talent, but really more developmental depth pieces, and and putting a priority on stud defenders early in the draft. And I think that's that alludes to John Lynch's trust in Kyle Shanahan as as a coach. And certainly 
over the last few years, we've seen sort of a disconnect from the front office to the coaching staff, and you're left wondering what's really this cohesive plan in this front office, and and do they understand? Does the front office understand what the coaching staff needs, and does the coaching staff understand the difficult? task that the front office had, especially when the 49ers were good and picking late in the first round. And the difficulties of finding the high-quality players that they needed at those times to kind of get over that final hump of beating the Seahawks, it looks like to me, just looking at this draft class and even the undrafted free agents that they plan on bringing in, that Lynch and Shanahan have been able to come to some agreement or some understanding of what building this this roster looks like in the in the short term and even in the long term and i'd expect over over the next year or two uh to see some more offensive pieces come in but for the most part i'd expect that this team goes heavy on defense in the draft early make sure that they're continually restocking to to keep that up and and like we've heard kyle shanahan just continues to be an above average play caller that can beat almost everybody with marginal talent yeah so why why don't we spitball uh we'll go through the draft we talked at length in the last episode about solomon thomas and reuben foster in that first round draft hall um but let's go through who the who the niners took um i'll, I'll list the picks and if you guys have any thoughts uh feel free to chime in but we'll start with akello witherspoon the uh the cornerback from colorado tall 33 inch arms uh projects to fit really well within the new press cover three style defense they want to run Good athlete. There are questions about his tackling and his toughness. Um, C.J. Beathard, the quarterback from Iowa, also in round three. They moved back into round three at the end of day two in the draft. Really out of nowhere, uh, I think based on his production last year and the season that he had for Iowa in 2016, uh, people had maybe a fifth or sixth round grade on him mostly. Um, But Kyle Shanahan spoke about the pick and he said he really loved what he saw from him the previous year when he had a better supporting cast when Iowa went 12-2 and two and ended up playing Solomon Thomas and Stanford in the Rose Bowl. Um, and, and you read the, the Peter King piece that came out Monday morning. Um, you know, Kyle Shanahan actually said he reminds me, Bethard reminds him a lot of Kirk Cousins. And, and Bethard was taken around before Cousins was um, in, his, in his draft back in 2012. So you have that. You have Joe Williams, um, a running back from Utah, another guy who some people might think that the team reached for, but not because of his ability, because of questions they might have off the field. Um, He left the team for a few weeks earlier this season. Um, He had some personal family issues, um, and he was, you know, he he talks about, it's it's a long story, but we can can get into it a little bit here. But um, ultimately, his sister died basically in his arms uh, a decade ago, and he has always sort of blamed himself for it. And um, he just had trouble letting go of that issue and and being able to take the blame off of himself. Um, So he had to leave the team. And then when he came back, he was ultra productive for Utah. Um, You know, he has good measurables. He ran four fours um, at the combine. He seems like he could be a potential steal in the draft if he turns into the player that Kyle Shanahan um, has developed. You know, he's developed mid-round picks out of out of running backs pretty well um, in his history as, as an offensive coordinator. So then you have Joe, George Kittle, uh, Iowa tight end, C.J. Beathard's really good friend and former roommate, um, a guy that it seems like a really good value in round five, a really good blocker. He ran a 4-5. Um, he's not a huge guy, but he I think he was underutilized as a, as a pass catcher and could end up being a steal. Then you have Trent Taylor, a kind of a jitterbug receiver, slot guy, punt returner, 
from Louisiana Tech who had some 1,800 yards last season to, to lead college football. Um, DJ Jones, a super athletic nose tackle in round six uh, from Mississippi, a guy who might have fallen just because there isn't a ton of value placed on nose tackles, but is a guy who might have starter quality traits down the road, just given his skill set and athleticism. Um, round six, I'm going to do my best here. Uh, Pita Tau Moe Penu. Pita T. Uh, <laughs> Pita. We'll just call him Pita, the, uh, the outside linebacker pass rusher, really the, the only Leo they drafted from Utah. Um, kind of an interesting guy with some upside. He was a part-time player for Utah, mostly as a pass rusher only with some development. Maybe he could, he could, uh, find his way onto the field as a rookie. And Adrian Colbert is a, uh, the last guy they took in round seven, a really athletic defensive back from Miami who, uh, they list as a safety right now. He played corner. Um, but I think, you know, he's, he's got really good size. He's six two two oh five, and he's fast and he's probably going to be a guy, um, if he makes the team, is makes it as a core special teamer. So that's sort of the uh, the initial breakdown of all these picks um, after that first round. And so you know, I'll, Jared, well, I'll, I'll put it to you. Which which guys in the maybe in the middle or later portions of the draft stood out to you as as good picks and who could potentially turn into impact starters? To me, first and foremost, DJ Jones stands out. This dude is six one. He's like three twenty. But that weight is not really in his stomach, right? He's got a big old hips, big old butt, and, and he can move fast. He's really athletic given his size. He's a really explosive player. And some of the the knock on him, and as I was watching his tape a little bit, uh, playing in the SEC, you know, as you, as you quote-unquote scout players, you're going to see these guys regardless. They'll jump off film if they're solid. And he is solid. One of the things that I'll, I'll mention about him is that he gets a little reckless because he's so – uh, amped up and he's so athletic and sometimes he really does just whip the dude across from him that he could be beat easily on things like uh, traps and counters because he's kind of leaving himself opened up deep in the backfield to just get ear hold at the, the same time for a young guy that's coming in if you could ask him to do some things well you're going to ask him to be explosive you're going to ask him to be hyped up to play with enthusiasm so uh, round six for me that's a total steal i would say he you know, that, that body type is hard to find, like that short, squatty, athletic, uh, interior defensive lineman. And we're not talking like a three technique. Like this dude is a zero or one shade uh, nose tackle that, that can really move. So that's a great pick. Uh, and I and I really like Adrian Colbert, too. When I was watching Cornell, there the other cornerback from Miami. Colbert kept standing out because he's just got great size. He's 6'2", 205, is, and he's he's built well. He runs quick. Uh, and, and I think that he's got this sort of, power and and really punch in his hands to be effective in this defense so now is that to say that they're starters immediately i don't think so but on this type of roster that is really unsettled these guys have an opportunity to make the 53-man roster come the end of summer and when it when you're deciding between veterans that you've seen some of right like they have tape on uh, you know, some of the interior nose tackles like Mike Purcell and they go, okay, maybe Mike's maxed out. Maybe this is who Mike is, but we've got DJ Jones who we've only had our hands on for two months and he's got all these traits that we think we can build on. I have a feeling that this front office, knowing that they've got some uh, financial security and, and time security in terms of their contracts and what Jed York expects from them, I, I, I tend to think that they're going to lean with these rookies and say, if we've got a guy that we think we can keep developing two, three years down the road to really be competitive, th that's who we're going to go with. 
Rob, were, were there any dudes uh, taken in, in this draft that stood out to you as potential starters? Hella dudes, man. Hella dudes. Um, and <laughs> Sick, bro. <laughs> to, uh, to Jared's point, uh, and I, I want to get this out of the way first, and even, most of the time when a team is picking in the late rounds or they're signing undrafted free agents, there's kind of like a foregone conclusion that the vast majority of them will either have to compete very hard to make the roster or won't make it at all. And I don't think that's the case at all with this team because you have to take into account the fact that these are all picks and selections and undrafted free agents that the team has chosen, that the new regime has targeted as being their guy. And so when you're there set up to players that are that were on the roster, that have come from the team, that like Jared said, the team has tape on, um, they're going to get a little bit of, I guess you could say, the benefit of the doubt in the fact that you know, one of them came from the team from before, the other team's guys, and then you have the new regime's guys. So it's there's going to be a little bit of favoritism towards the guys that they've targeted for the skills that they've already demonstrated. But as far as the draft class goes, um, the first one I'd have to hit is George Kittle, uh, fifth-round tight end. Super good, super well-rounded. Um, there's not a whole lot of holes to his game. You know, he's not huge. He's 6'4", 250, which isn't undersized by any means. Um, but when you watch his film and you kind of break apart his game, there's there's not a whole lot of weakness to it. He he loves to block. Uh, he's very scrappy. Uh, he more than one occasion he buried guys and put them into the ground, like literally playing to the whistle, uh, which is always impressive to see. He's very good in the past game. He ran a four five forty at the combine. Um, you can watch him run away from linebackers um, and and create separation from them after he's got the ball. So. There isn't a whole lot not, not to like there, and I think Shanahan's going to love him because he offers him both. You know, Shanahan uses his uh, tight ends as blockers first and then pass catchers second, and George Kittle offers him both of those in, in, in spades. So I love that pick. And one person I'm really looking forward to is, is the very next pick in the fifth round, Trent Taylor, the wide receiver out of Louisiana Tech. And he's just he, – the odds are 100% against him. He's 5'8", 180. You know, that right there stacks the chips against him a lot. Um, But one of the things I mentioned earlier uh, is when you watch him play, when he makes these catches, all 134 of them last year, he always, almost always, I wouldn't say always, he almost always has at least three or four yards of separation when he's catching the ball. And then he's outstanding after the catch. He runs mean. He, for a little guy, he, you know, he's not easily brought down. And the fact that he creates so much separation is so impressive, even when he's in like a press, he's going up against press coverage. Uh, you know, so I'm really looking forward to him. I hope he uh, gets a chance to crack that roster, and I hope Shanahan gives him a chance because he's he'd be outstanding on screen passes and bubble screens and stuff like that. And then, you know, in the short to intermediate game, like I said, he just creates a ridiculous amount of separation. He runs insane routes. He's he, I think out of like some ridiculous 100 and something, 100 high 100 targets, 170, 180 targets, he only dropped four. So it's like he's just, he's a ridiculously good wide receiver that's just his size is working against him. And I'm really looking forward to see if Shanahan gives him that shot. Yeah, I think all, all those guys you mentioned are really interesting. I, I'm, I'm intrigued by the quarterback, CJ Beathard, and, and I haven't been able to dig in and watch his games too much yet. But, um, you know, I, I was definitely surprised when I when I saw his name called, and um, I definitely thought he was a reach. But you know, I think Kyle Shanahan knows what he looks for in quarterbacks, and and he's um, he always is able to identify these guys and and put them in situations to succeed. And and you look at 
uh, you know, Beathard's career, particularly in 2015, he, he had a number of fourth quarter comebacks. Um, he's played in cold weather games. He's played in a pro style offense. He's six two. He's got good size, his arm strength. Um, it's not elite by any means, but I think it's definitely good enough. Um, and I think it just sounds, you know, you listen to, uh, to Kittle talk about him a lot and, I mean, obviously they're good friends and Kittle's not going to say a bad word about him, but you get the feeling that, and, and this is true of, of Kirk Ferentz players coming out of Ohio or Iowa, I should say, um, that they're, you know, they're tough guys. They're, they're football players. They're, um, they're very team oriented. Uh, they're mentally strong. They're smart. Um, so if Beathard turns into that guy, then at, at worst, you're looking at a capable backup who could, who could potentially spell you, who's been in a pro system before, who's not going to have a super steep learning curve coming in to learn this offense. And he has the, the added bonus of playing with his good friend, uh, who happens to be a tight end. And, you know, it's going to be, he's going to have his security blanket there already with him. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that relationship is going to continue with the 49ers now that they're pros. And if it's, if they're going to both going to benefit from the chemistry they've already developed. Um, Joe Williams, a running back, I think is a super intriguing guy just because, you know, he has a skill set of someone who maybe could have gone in the second or third round had he had a squeaky clean college career. Um, but you look at everything that happened, like we mentioned earlier, he he started out his career at UConn, but then was kicked off the team for using a teammate's credit card. Um, there, then he spent a year out of football and then played at community college in Brooklyn before making his way to Utah. Um, and then the thing happened this year with, with leaving the team. Um, but you just look at what he does on the field, and he's a home run hitter, like Jared has, has said a few times. Um he runs a 4-4. He seems like he's going to be a perfect fit for the outside zone team. And I think what that brings up for me is a question about Carlos Hyde. And, and John Lynch, earlier this offseason, well before the draft, gave a pretty tepid endorsement of Carlos Hyde. And, and you know, they obviously Hyde's entering a contract year. He hasn't gotten a new contract. Um, the 49ers were open over the weekend acknowledging that yeah, Vance McDonald is on the trade block. Well, you wonder if they're having similar thoughts with Carlos Hyde. Um, if he's going to be, you know, there's there's a chance that he could be one of these players cut uh, this week as they bring in this draft class and, and sign all these undrafted free agents because, you know, the 49ers have shown they don't have any allegiances to to guys that were brought in under the previous front office. So, you know, they, they cut Torrey Smith, they cut Antoine Bethay, uh with time left on their contract. They cut a few other guys. So you have to wonder if Carlos Hyde isn't a part of this long-term plan. And it sounds like Jed York is pretty committed to a long-term approach and not pushing all his chips into the table this year or next year. Um, that, you know, if they could get something for Carlos Hyde, maybe in a trade, maybe they do that. Or it, they look at it as a, a dish, addition by subtraction scenario where, you know, maybe they just decide to 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 make Joe Williams a starter, and they run with him and Tim Hightower um, and uh, Capri Bibbs, the the guy they traded for uh, from Denver on Friday. Uh, actually, no, Saturday during the draft. So, you know, they they might want to expedite the the transition by getting rid of some of these guys, whether it be Hyde or McDonald. Um, and I'm very curious to see, and maybe maybe we'll have our answer by the time this. This podcast comes out on, on Tuesday morning when, when people are listening to it. I would expect some of the cuts to be made either Tuesday or Wednesday while the team also 
announces its uh, undrafted free agent signings. But um, you look at the way they're building this team, and uh, and they're they're overhauling this whole thing, and they're not sh- really showing too many allegiances to guys uh, brought in by Trent Valky and, and his scouting department. So uh, with that, I mean, the, the draft to me was was really interesting. They filled a bunch of needs. Um, they got guys that fit their scheme. Um, well, I'm curious what you guys think of uh, of the cornerback, Akella Witherspoon from Colorado. Um, he seems like physically he could be a first round guy. Um, he's he's similarly built to Kevin King from from Washington, who went first pick in the second round to the Packers. Um, but I think King is regarded as a more physical and more um, aggressive and more willing tackler. Um, I'm I'm curious what you guys think about Witherspoon. I think one of the things to go right off the bat. In, to address is uh, I don't remember what what day it was whether it was yesterday or in the press conference after uh, after round three, um, but John Lynch you know someone specifically asked about you know Akella Witherspoon's tackling struggles and the fact that there's plays on tape where he literally tried to avoid contact and would move away from the running back and you know, teams notice that and they would start running his direction. Now my first reply to that would be you don't draft a cornerback for their run support. Like, that's just not what they were there for, especially in this new defense when you're going to have eight players in the box and the corners are going to be kind of holding their own on the outside. Um, but what was interesting is when John Lynch was approached with that, his his answer was, oh, like, essentially, no, no, we'll get it right. Like, you know, I we saw that too, but we don't have any, any concerns about the fact that we're going to be able to correct that part of his game, which I thought was interesting, you know, to acknowledge what every what, what others had seen and then kind of just openly say, like, no, no, we'll, we'll make it right, and we're going to get him to where he's hitting and, and tackling. And he's such a raw prospect, and he hasn't been playing football very long. Um, I know he was really big into soccer. And like you said, he, he fits that defense to a T, and he's just, you know, he's really, really promising clay that the team is hoping to mold into their typical uh, press cornerback that can hold his own out there on the perimeter. So I, I really like the pick. There's no way you're going to run away from the guy. He's super quick. He's fluid. He had 22 pass breakups, which is a ridiculous number. Um, and it kind of speaks to his inexperience, and he doesn't have a whole lot of ball skills yet. He's not making an interception. He did get one interception that basically sealed the game against Oregon in the end zone, um, which was pretty impressive. But, you know, he, tw- there's there's something to be said about a guy that's as inexperienced as he is that's getting 22 pass breakups. And that kind of, get, you know, that he's he's somebody the team, especially taking him in early in the third round, um, where there was a plethora of talent available. It speaks to the team's willingness to kind of move him along and, and mold him into exactly what they need him to be. Yeah, six foot three and 200 pounds with long arms isn't exactly growing around on trees. So to... To grab a guy like that in the in the third, and particularly coming from a Colorado defense that was pretty good, um, and Colorado as a full team is good and and coached well. I think their coach was actually coach of the year, um, possibly in all of college football, if not just alone in the Pac-12. But nonetheless, he's well coached, and like Rob mentioned, he's really raw. I mean, he's got this. He's not a blank canvas, but he's underdeveloped, uh, if anything. And he he's got the 49ers have time to make him into what they want. I mean, that's really what you have to look at with these guys, right? So some teams that are, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers that are pretty close to competing with New England for the AFC Championship, they need they need players that can play right now and play well. The 49ers have the luxury of, you know, competing in an NFC West that I don't think is going to be quite as good next year as it has been recently. 
and competing with a coaching staff in front office that has a little bit of security and understands that this is probably a two to three year project. So you take a guy like this, who's got the length you like, who's got the, like Rob mentioned, the fluidity, he's got the athleticism that you like, and, and maybe he's a little inconsistent and maybe he struggles to, to play with the physicality in the run game that, that you desire, but you build him into that. And, and ultimately, if he wants to see the field, he's going to recognize that. I don't think NFL coaches are going to take it easy on this guy. Whereas in college, you know, at Colorado, maybe he's just cruising as the best athlete on the field or one of the best athletes on the field, uh, at least in the Colorado program. So I could see the 49ers, not necessarily in this first year, but by the second year saying, all right, we've developed this guy to where his tackling is good enough, maybe never great, but good enough. And he's the ideal, you know, long rangy corner that we want that we think can move. And like Rob mentioned, especially in this defense, not not just in the NFL, but especially in this defense, the corners are not your run your run defenders. They are, you know, last chance on the edge run de- run defenders. Ideally, you know, they're press and and they've got length down the field to hang on their own to defend passes. But you, this is not a guy that you're going to ask to sink his hips and take on a running back on at the edge routinely. Yeah. So so one before we get to Barrows. Um, I, I want to talk about what the 49ers didn't do in the draft. And, and I wrote about it on Saturday. Uh, they didn't draft the safety. So Jimmy Ward is going to be, um, barring anything unforeseen or another injury, he's going to be the starting free safety. Um, Eric Reed's going to be the strong safety. And, and I know we had talked a lot about the possibility of maybe Jamal Adams being that first pick in early in the first round or, or even Malik Hooker. Um, and and uh, he, he wound up he wound up going all the way down to 15 with the Colts. But um, one thing I thought that was interesting about Peter King's article, you know, his immersive story about being in the, in the draft room as everything was shaken out, the 49ers in the third round were interested. Uh, first, they were interested in TJ Watt um, in round one. Uh, and maybe if he would have been there, you know, at 34, uh, they might have considered taking him. But the, the Steelers snatched him up at the end of round one before the Niners took Foster. Um and then they liked uh, Terrell Basham, who a guy who I wrote a little bit about uh, a couple times leading up to the draft um, as a potential edge rusher. And, you know, we talked about Solomon Thomas being a three and five technique and, and sort of an interior pass rusher. But the 49ers really uh, didn't find, um, <clears throat> you know, they added a linebacker, but they didn't get a Sam linebacker unless drafting Foster moves. Uh, Malcolm Smith to Sam, which I which I think he would be comfortable doing, um, but they didn't get a pass rusher from the edge until uh, the sixth round in Peter Taumo Taumo Penu. Peter T. Um, I'm gonna f- I'm gonna figure out how to say that at some point, but I think I'm it's, just gonna keep yelling Peter T every time you try. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> but it speaks to something that's interesting because you know we talk about the the 49ers. Um, you know, moving off of guys like Vance McDonald and maybe Carlos Hyde. And I think going into this, you would think Eric Armstead might be one of those players too. But um, the 49ers are trying Armstead at Leo, and they think he's their best pass rusher. And so they're going to put him out on the edge in, in that wide technique after he spent, you know, his college career and uh, and his first two seasons with the Niners playing as an interior 3-4 defensive lineman. So it's going to be a new role for him, and he might be you know, a square peg going into a round hole out there. Um, but he's super athletic, uh, but he's going to have to work on his pad level and sticking his hips and, and being flexible around the edge, which is something, I mean, he's, 
he's played wide before. It's not, not that he he's never played there. He he's been used there sparingly. Um, but you know, I think it was interesting because going into the draft, you looked at all the pass rushers that were going to be available, and you would say, you know, there were a lot of obvious Leo candidates in early. Uh, you know, in the second, third, maybe even the fourth round, and the 49ers didn't take any of those guys. So, you know, were, were there guys that, you know, I know Tim Williams went to Baltimore, I think, in the third or fourth round, um, the Alabama pass rusher. We talked about Basham. Were there guys that, that you guys were a little bit surprised the 49ers passed on in the middle rounds in terms of adding to the pass rush and, and the the value of, of those edge players as they convert to this new defense? Well, one of the things that surprised me is, uh, and, I'm, and I'm drawing a blank right now, um, Carl Lawson from Auburn. He was he was routinely considered uh, one of the better pass rushers in this draft, and he fell quite a bit. Um, I'm, I'm bringing his name up right now because, you know, I can't remember the exact round he was drafted in, but he fell all the way down to the Bengals um, with the, the, fourth, the ninth pick in the fourth round. And in a lot of the mock drafts, which obviously this draft more than any draft proved just how inaccurate they can be, but I think most people thought he was a second round, third round guy at the latest, and to fall the way down to you know the fourth round and pick nine, um, that's a pretty decent fall for a guy of his caliber. Like you said, it was surprising to see the 49ers pass on so many um, pass rushers and the fact that they had such a desperate need at it, but I think, like you said, maybe the team... It's unfortunate that was it was within a draft with such a deep class, but maybe the team wants to try and see how their defensive players shake out. Like you were talking about Armstead, and he may, you know, he may get a lot of action at that Leo spot, and maybe the team wants to do a little bit more of their homework and seeing what they got in their own guys before they invested in the draft. And the fact that they passed up a pass rusher is obviously, you know, you're passing on a need, but it's not like the players that they got were, were luxury or stuff. They all kind of had their own obvious uh, intentions within the roster so um, one thing yeah, I will you say you're not going to be able to fill every single need after a 2-14 and 14 season with one draft class no and, and there were needs basically the across, the, across the roster they're, they're, no matter what they did they were going to pass they were going to leave holes on the roster because there were just too many to fill in one draft one thing I will say real quick that I wanted to highlight is one of the undrafted free agents that they're signing Lorenzo Jerome um, he's out of uh, St. Francis Kind of a smaller school guy, but he is, he, from what I read, he was considered one of the most sought-after undrafted free agents in the fact that he is very much the, um, the type of free safety that they're looking for. And, and take a little bit of, uh, off, of, off of NFL.com here, but he had almost 60 tackles, 5.5 tackles for loss, 2.5 sacks, 3 interceptions, and 10 pass breakups. And, the, and, and you know, when they're describing, the, uh, describing him, he says, NFL teams love instinctive safeties who take the ball away, and Jerome is working on a master's degree in both categories. So, like we were talking about earlier, a lot of these undrafted free agents are going to get the nod in terms of um, being up against competing guys who are already on the roster. So as far as whether or not they actually moved Jimmy Ward to free safety um, and the fact that they didn't address that in the draft, which like you were talking about Malik Hooker, um, he's an intriguing guy to keep your eye on for either good depth or to give Jimmy Ward a solid run for his money back there at free safety. Jared, what, what areas do you think the 49ers missed on in the draft? I think like you mentioned, Leo was something that I expected to be addressed a little sooner. And especially once we saw that run on on defense early, especially with the first two picks, I thought, okay, after they got those guys day day two and into into round three, they had to be looking Leo. And they didn't necessarily. One guy that I thought they could have had was uh Derek Rivers at a young Youngstown State. 
I thought he was he's solid, could absolutely play the Leo, a guy that rushes from the edge well, has some serious explosiveness, strong dude that put up 30 bench press reps. I thought that in the third, he would be an absolute steal. He was discussed as a potential uh, late first-round guy who had some serious steam coming into the draft. So as he's sitting there, especially in round two on the second day, I was expecting to see a move possibly to target him sooner. And he ended up going in the 80s, I think, to the Patriots. Uh, so he's somebody that I thought they could have manipulated picks a little bit more to target, and I and I thought he's a he's a day one Leo. Really quickly, I'll say about Lorenzo Jerome. He showed up to the Senior Bowl, like Rob mentioned, he's a small school dude, and he has swagger like you wouldn't believe. Dude had no problem competing, uh, especially I really liked his coverage ability in the intermediate range. So it, it, at the Senior Bowl, you know, one on ones is insanely difficult for the defenders where there's all this open field, and he was comfortable against tight ends he was comfortable uh you know from a typical slot alignment uh, i thought he's i thought he showed good coverage skills from a guy that you know you hear small school and you wonder is he just beaten up on weak competition or can he really can he really hang and he absolutely did so to lure him in much like they have with a couple other really impressive undrafted free agents is uh exciting about what what Sh- what lynch and shanahan are in terms of selling points for players aside from the leo position though I was a little surprised that they didn't go with an offensive guard a little sooner in the draft. And I know that they've got Garnett and they've they've got Tiller and they have uh, Zane Beatles. But if you're talking about really building a a solid core offensive line, I thought they could have taken an offensive guard and probably even an offensive tackle at some point. And I know they brought a bunch of guys in uh, through uh, after the draft, but I anticipated that they would grab at least one developmental lineman to uh, to work with, especially once they cut Marcus Martin, but um, they've got Zuda, so I, I assume that they're, I guess, comfortable with the interior offensive line. All right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, for chatting it up um, about the draft. We're, we're gonna we're gonna do this again really soon. And now uh, we're gonna speak with Matt Barrows, uh, 49ers beat writer for the Sacramento Bee. So we are here with Matt Barrows of the Sacramento Bee, good friend of the site. Um, Matt wrote a lot of stuff over the weekend and, and during the draft, and you should all check it out. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Oh, just fantastic. Just enjoying this nice weather. Yeah, uh, we've uh, officially hit summer, I think, today. Yeah, I think the draft marked it. Like, the Mother Nature saw that all the picks were made, and... And now people like us can finally venture outside. And so she decided to bring the sun out. Right. Um, April comes in like a lamb and out like a, a draft. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good Good talk. Good talk. So, um, Matt, obviously, you know, John Lynch has been getting a lot of praise for what he was able to do in the first round by getting Solomon Thomas, a guy you wrote about as your draft crush this year. Um, and Thank then you for noticing in. that my draft crush was taken with the third overall pick. No, that was, that was quality work by you. Thank you. Um, but, you know, what, what, what was your takeaway from the way that first round went, um, and, and in particular being able to, to move back and, and the machinations of that trade with Chicago from two to three and, um, and being able to get back into the first round at 31 to take Foster? Yeah, I mean, every time, um, you know, a a general manager holds a uh, post-draft press conference, you you hear the phrase, 
you know, we waited and then uh, we traded back. And then the guy we wanted all along was the guy that fell to us. And, and this time it, it turns out that it's absolutely true. I mean, uh, you know, Lynch said uh, the other day that if for some reason the Bears had taken Solomon Thomas at two, and, and they had no idea who the Bears were going to take, uh, that they were prepared to take Reuben Foster at three. And I, I sort of was a little bit skeptical when he said that, because like I said, every general manager says that. Uh, but the uh, the Peter King report this morning um, you know, verified that, corroborated that. And uh, I think that's... <laughs> Fairly amazing that somebody that the 49ers were prepared to take at three ended up going to them at 31. Uh, and, and that probably, uh, you know, wasn't going to happen unless they made that initial trade um, with, with the Bears and that gave them some extra ammunition. So they ended up getting two of the, of the top three guys in their, uh, on their draft board. And that's, uh, you know, right there, that's uh, an A draft. I mean, if, if you can do that, and uh, the 49ers, of course, did that, and then they did a lot more over the next two days. Yeah, so so one of the things that, that came out and has been reported a, a few different ways um, since that, that first trade was made with Chicago was the fact that, you know, some people report, were reporting that the Bears were bidding against themselves. Um, and then in that Peter King piece, he talked about Parag Morate being on the phone with multiple teams and fielding offers for that two pick. But from, from everything you've sensed and gathered is, is, uh, you know, where did, did the bears have to make that deal uh, to get up to two? Uh, ultimately that gave the 49ers the ammunition they needed to, to get back into round one for foster. Yeah, I don't know. And I, I don't know if we'll ever know that. I mean, I, I can see another team uh, wanting to get to two, but the question is whether the 49ers would have uh, would have taken that trade, and, and maybe they would have if, if they thought that Reuben Foster was going to be at 12 or wherever they were going to trade to. Um, you know, uh, I, I I believe in them when they said they did get other calls. Now, whether those calls were plausible or actable, uh, that's what I don't know, and um, you know that that's the question that may never be answered publicly. But uh, I think the 49ers did exactly what they wanted to do. I mean, they, they wanted to trade down and they wanted to take Solomon Thomas and, and Reuben Foster. Uh, and, and they, then they got all three of those things. So, um, you know, uh, like I said, every, uh, every GM thinks that his first round was amazing and wants to spin it really well. I, I think in, in the 49ers case, uh, that's actually true. All right, Matt, it's Rob uh, jumping in here. How you doing, bud? Oh, hey, Rob, what's going on? Oh, you know, just talking draft with the uh, with Matt Barrows here. But I wanted to ask what could you, be better. What could be better than that? I'm really having trouble coming up with anything else right now. You know, I was I knew that was coming, but I I can't give you anything. So you're up there with a lot of the kind of the success that goes along with what the Foster pick and how it's perceived and the fact that they got him so late in the draft. It's kind of I wouldn't say it's glossed over. But it, the pick still comes with a, a healthy amount of risk, you know, with his off-the-field stuff, uh, the diluted sample, the shoulder. Uh, what do you do? You still still think that was that was the direction the team needed to go? I mean, is it still you know a pretty resounding pick? Well, at thirty-one, I think it's a pretty resounding pick. I mean, if it had been at three, and it had all those caveats and, and red flags, I think that would have been sort of the story of the first round and uh, all this glory that. Uh, 
John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are getting right now wouldn't uh, wouldn't be happening. But at at 31, um, it, it doesn't seem like as big of a risk, just given uh, how good a player he was and the 49ers need. Um, I mean, I think uh, Reuben Foster's path is going to be he'll start out as a as a will linebacker next to Navarro Bowman. Uh, learn the ropes, and then over time, perhaps he's the uh, Navarro Bowman waiting, the guy who takes over as that uh, Mike uh, inside linebacker. So, um, you know, you talk to anybody that that knows football and is is a draft nick, and uh, they'll tell you the same thing, is that this guy on a defense that was just teeming with, uh, you know, quality players and first-round selections, he jumped off the screen just because of how active he was, how hard he hit, how his teammates rallied around him. And, and I think that's sort of the theme that, uh, that, that John Lynch wanted to hit. He wanted to bring in guys that would change the culture, that would change the, uh, um, you know, the, the atmosphere in the locker room, on the field. Uh, this was a, a 49ers team that had no teeth last year on defense. And he brings in two guys that uh, really w- were able to sort of take over games. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, teammates would rally around. So uh, in that sense, I think it's exactly what they were looking for. They got two of those things. And uh, th- uh, I would say that the first round was uh, about as big a home run as that they could have had. Uh, you, there was another guy you also wrote about leading up to the draft, a Sacramento native, Akella Witherspoon, the Niners' third-round pick. Um, lanky corner, a really good athlete. He tested really well, um, and seems like he's a he's going to be a really good fit for for what they want to do in that secondary. But there are questions about his toughness and tackling. Um, from from what you gathered when reporting on that story, and from what you were able to glean from him, it, does he have the personality to, you know, become more of a physical presence? Is he willing to take on that? that physicality and, and change his game to, to be the player the 49ers need him to be. Yeah. And I think that's what John Lynch was getting at, uh, on Friday. Um, he's a, he, this is a guy that's a learner. Um, you know, whatever he puts his mind to, he achieves. Um, he's very, he's got a great work ethic. I mean, the, uh, the line from my story on him was that he could have played division one, um, you know, uh, sports in, in four different sports, soccer, basketball, baseball, and football. I mean, he's just that talented and that dedicated. So the thought with him is that if he perceives tackling and, and physicality as a weakness, he'll, he'll attack it and he'll get better. Um, you know, he's still growing. That, that's the odd thing about this guy. The third round is always about potential. That's usually the, the round that, that uh, a team takes a guy that, um, you know, might, might have a red flag or, or something. It's about risk and reward. And with Akella Witherspoon, it's, you know, the, the, uh, the reward is that um, he's just untapped at this point. He's got, he, he probably won't reach his, his full size for a couple of years. He told me that he thought he would be playing at 210 pounds eventually. Um, and a, a 210 pound, six foot three cornerback, that's, that's something. I mean, that's, that's unique. I think uh, Richard Sherman is 195. So, um, you know, whether he's a factor this year is a question mark, but uh, the 49ers are betting that he's going to be something very special down the line. And 
Uh, you know, he only started playing football seriously as a senior in high school, went to community college, Sac City College, um, uh, his freshman year of college, and, and really has only been playing um, at a higher level a couple of years. So the whole idea is upside with him. Um, and uh, the 49ers feel like that upside was worth the uh, the risk. Well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned kind of red flags and taking taking a risk once you get into the third round because the very next pick was, in my opinion, one of the most intriguing picks of the entire draft in, in Utah running back Joe Williams. I mean, a pretty incredible story, not just from him, but from John Lynch's perspective um, and kind of brushing him off in the beginning and kind of being coached into checking him back out. And then it, he went from brushing him off to, to trading up to get him. What was your take on that? Yeah, that, you're right. That was the best story of, of the draft, of all those picks. Um, my take is that uh, it, it's another risky pick. Um, and, you know, the risk is that the 49ers talk themselves into it. That, um, you know, they, they even admitted it, that Kyle Shanahan watched this guy on tape and saw that he was everything that he wanted in a running back. He was just so talented. And then said you know, is there any way to, you know, uh, reconcile picking him? And the 49ers did uh, a lot of research on it, and, and they decided, yeah, there was. Um, but, you know, the question is whether they, they talk themselves into that pick. And uh, I guess only time will tell. Um, you know, he, he's got a very interesting story. He's got a very good reason for, you know, the, the biggest red flag about him, which was, um, walking away from the Utah team for, for four weeks. And he was still dealing with his sister's death from a decade ago, and he was still wrestling with the guilt that he felt about that. And that's all that, you know, that's all, that all could be. Um, but there were other red flags about him as well. And so, um, again, the third and the fourth round, you're, you're, you're sort of taking risk. You're, you're, you're taking a leap of faith on guys um, who have fallen to that point, and the, the, the leap of faith is that they're going to overcome the very things that have caused them to fall. So, uh, again, another gamble, three and four were, uh, I don't think Witherspoon was quite as big a gamble, but um, it, it's interesting. If it pans out, these are, you know, these are home run uh, swings that they're taking in the third and the four, fourth round. Uh, and, and sometimes the ball goes over the fence, and sometimes you strike out. So that's the, that's the question uh, that you know, will be answered in the coming years. Yeah, to, to pull back the curtain a little bit, Barrows on, on Friday, we, were, uh, we, you know, we had just spoken to John Lynch about his pick uh, in the third round to take Witherspoon, and then some of us were even packing up and, and getting ready to leave. I'm not going to name names. Um, but... You know, we, and then all of a sudden the 49ers, they have some action and trade back into round three and take a quarterback that I don't I didn't see anybody really write about uh, at all beyond being maybe a fifth or sixth round pick in C.J. Beathard from Iowa. And it turns out Kyle Shanahan, you know, really just loved what he saw from 2015, not last season when his supporting cast was better and when they went 12 and two and went to the Rose Bowl. Um, what was, was Beathard on your radar at all? And, uh, and what'd you think of that pick? No, he wasn't. And, um, you know, if, if we were looking at the, the plain Jane fourth round pick that he was going to take, it was going to be Nathan Peterman. Um, that, that's the one that sort of the, the draft experts and the QB experts sort of circled as the guy who 
reminded them a lot of Kirk Cousins and, and a guy who the 49ers could take. Lo and behold, uh, that guy ended up being C.J. Beathard. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, over the course of their careers, who's more successful. And it may be, you know, both or none of the above or both are backups for the rest of their careers. But, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan knows what he likes. Uh, he's very confident in that. And uh, the up, upshot from uh, the uh, Monday morning quarterback story this morning was that he saw a lot of uh, the same things that he saw on Kirk Cousins, a, a guy that he was involved in drafting in the fourth round uh, in 2012 in, in Washington. So uh, that'll be interesting because, um, you know, he's going to get a chance. You know, at, at that point, there are only two quarterbacks on the roster. So He's a, uh, a shoo-in to, to make the roster, or at least the uh, practice squad this year. He'll get to develop under Shanahan, and uh, it'll be uh, fun to see whether lightning strikes twice, whether he was able to sort of identify these qualities in, in sort of a, an anonymous quarterback. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins wasn't, wasn't you know, anything people were writing home about in 2012 either, but the similarities uh, both play in a pro-style system, uh, both play in the Big Ten, and both are, are sort of known for, I don't know, for, for lack of a, a better term, their pocket uh, courage. They're, they're, they stay in the pocket. They uh, don't shy away from pressure. And if you listen to Kyle Shanahan in the run-up to the draft, that was something that, that he cited a lot. A, a guy who is uh, willing to take a hit, um, is willing to kind of stay in and uh, make those tough throws with – uh, pressure bearing down on him, and um, C.J. Beathard definitely fits that that definition. Yeah, and then so now you know with with the draft and with some I don't know what are there fourteen or fifteen undrafted guys expected to be brought in this week. Um, we're looking at a scenario where the Forty ers are going to have to make a ton of cuts from incumbent players uh, on the roster, and, and maybe by the time people listen to this, some of those cuts will be announced. Um, we're recording this Monday night, and uh, and word is from the team that they could come on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. But um, Matt, are, are there are there guys? Uh, you know, I know that the the 49ers have have openly talked about Vance McDonald being on the trade block, but maybe guys you know like Carlos Hyde or uh, Zane Beatles or or some some guys who are who are starters and contributors the last couple of years are, are these guys that could be in danger of losing their jobs um, as cuts or, or are the 49ers going to be willing to to stick it out with some of these guys in training camp and and kind of put them to the test against some of these new players they're bringing in yeah well i mean they've already shown that they're not going to be shy about uh turning away from some some big names I and mean, we saw that in tory smith um, et cetera, et cetera. They tried to, to shop fans McDonald, as you just noted. So, um, you know, it, it's, it, it may be that nobody's safe. Um, obviously the guy that they brought in free agency will be, uh, although I, I don't know, I mean, maybe they, you know, some of these, the, the lesser free agents that they've brought in the, the, uh, the lesser priced ones, they, they got a chance to watch them for three days in a mini camp last week. And, Maybe they reach some some conclusions, and uh, you know it could be a mix of guys that they recently brought in versus guys that have been on the roster that get cut. Um, you know uh, the, the uh, Trent Baalke's draft picks; a lot of them haven't panned out, and uh, it, it would not be a surprise if we saw more of those guys 
um, you know, hit, hitting the road over the next few days. Is there anybody, Matt, that you think that hasn't gotten a lot of airtime, hasn't gotten a lot of attention, somebody that might be, whether they're, they were taken late in the draft or an undrafted free agent, somebody you think that might, might surprise us as far as how much of an impact they can make right away or kind of putting their stamp, whether it be in training camp or preseason or going all the way into the season, is there anybody that stands out to you right away? Yeah, uh, DJ Jones, the uh, the Ole Miss defensive tackle that they took, I think in the sixth round, he he just seems to fit the profile for what they're looking for so well, and, and that's sort of how the the Seahawks have have operated. They've taken uh, guys at that position late in the draft that just didn't that weren't fits on other teams, but are good fits for their team, and they're able to get really good value for those picks. Um, and I think Jones is 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 sort of uh, fits that mold. Um, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to overtake Earl Mitchell for the starting role, but I think he's a guy that um, they'll, they'll keep around on the roster. Maybe he's active, maybe he's not on game days, but he's somebody down the line that I think is, has starter potential just because of what that what that position entails. Um, you know, it's, it's coming off the field probably on passing down. So, uh, you know, may play 50% of the snaps, say. And, um, you know, you, you just have to be able to have the quickness to uh, mind, uh, mind your gaps. And, uh, you know, uh, DJ Jones seems to have all of that. Uh, made a lot of plays early in the year, probably tailed off a little bit late in the year. But, um, just, uh, just a really good fit for the profile the 49ers have at that spot. Well, Matt, what, with John Lynch making his first draft and, and you know the, the front office taking an entirely new look and they seem to have a completely different approach in terms of transparency and collaboration. Uh, it, when you look at everything that's happened since early February when Shanahan and Lynch were brought in, is there sort of an overriding theme for you and and just in a broad sense of what the 49ers have been able to do in terms of changing the culture like you mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's on the same page. I mean, that was just clear um, over the last three days when, when Lynch and Shanahan were sitting up there together and going over the picks. Um, last year, Trent Baalke and, and Chip Kelly were not on the same page. You know, some of the picks that were made, uh, you know, especially in later in the draft, just did not seem to be Chip Kelly guys. And, you know, I think that was probably uh, a, a number of factors. But, uh, you know, I, I felt like Chip Kelly was, was playing that whole 2016 season without, you know, without Chip Kelly guys. So, uh, you know, when that happens, it's uh, not a surprise that they, they went 2-14. and 14. Uh, These two guys are on the same page. Uh, obviously, John Lynch is acquiescing to all of the offensive uh, picks that that Kyle Shanahan wants. I mean, that or Shanahan and his guys have come up with just a, a really specific idea of what they're looking for in these picks. Um, and so, you know, you know, once these guys hit the field, they're, because of that, they're going to be able to, you know, shine better. Uh, George Kittle is a great example, a guy who's just a, a fantastic blocker and uh, probably an underrated pass catcher. And in a Kyle Shanahan offense, you need that. You need that kind of dual threat potential. That's what the whole offense is, is predicated on. Um, he was just a, just a perfect Kyle Shanahan pick 
uh, and, and they took him early on in the fifth round. So uh, I think there was a lot of cohesion between Lynch and Shanahan, and you know, uh, theoretically that's going to uh, pay off on the field. Well, cool, Matt. We will, uh, we will keep it locked on your blog at the Sacramento Bee, and uh, I assume I will see you a little bit later this week uh, when rookies report, and we'll cover some rookie minicamp uh, this month. And uh, we'll see you soon. Hopefully you get to be uh, spend some time outside and enjoy this beautiful weather. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks for uh, wishing me that. And um, <laughs> I want to congratulate you on winning our draft pool the other day. Oh, uh, you're, you're too uh, kind. That took, took a lot of restraint for you not to uh, put that out there on this uh, podcast. Oh, I really appreciate that. I was actually able to go buy myself a couple soda pops over the weekend, so it was, uh, oh, it was a nice. It was a nice little victory. <laughs> That's nice to hear. Yeah. All right, Matt. We will chat. We will chat soon. And uh, thanks again for joining us on the Niners Wire podcast. All right. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Chris. Talk to you soon. Yeah, Matt. See ya.